Walking the Dog is a podcast on creation, evolution, genesis, apologetics, biblical issues, and quite frankly, any issue that really takes my fancy that I want to ramble on and on and on about. My name is Paul Taylor, and this podcast is produced on behalf of New Life Creation Ministries and can be found at the website www.justsixdays.com. Walking the Dog, Episode 10. In this episode, Sunday, Sabbath and Worship, are we getting things right about the day of the week that we should be worshipping on? Should we be called Young Earth Creationists when we believe that the Earth is pretty old, about 6,000 years old? And what do we make of the fact that British Prime Minister David Cameron now seems to be talking a lot about God? You're listening to Walking the Dog with Paul Taylor. I'm beginning to notice an increasing number of people who, for want of a better term, well, they're, they're very much what you might call Sabbatarians, but, you know, Sabbatarians were, really had a different meaning uh, when I was back in Britain. They tended to be people who were very strict on the observance of Sunday, treating Sunday as the uh, Christian Sabbath. But I come across a lot of people nowadays on both sides of the Atlantic who are getting so worried really about the concept of Sunday worship and wondering whether for 2,000 years we've been making a mistake about what day on which to worship and uh, whether we should be following the Jewish practice of worshipping on a Saturday on, on the Jewish Sabbath. Um, such people will take that to the extreme in many cases. Um, we know of churches like the Seventh-day Adventists, for example. I remember speaking at a, an SDA church, which I don't do these days. I have to hasten to add, I, I wouldn't these days speak at an SDA church, but that's before I really knew any better about it. And I spoke at one church, and it was on a Saturday. And it was uh, later on in the evening after I'd given the second talk, and... Um, uh, there was a lady who wanted to buy some books and the others had just been making notes of the books that they would like to have delivered and this lady said I really need to buy this and I can't really spend the time to come over and do anything about it well um, the pastor looked out of the window and he said well look the sun's going down I think it's okay to buy books now and I just thought this is a bit legalistic this is a very legalistic point that as soon as the sun was going down he was prepared to allow uh books to be bought and for money to be exchanged it just didn't make sense to me there's i don't mind if people do worship on uh the saturday it's not uh a big deal. There's no reason why we should worship on any particular day apart from a practice and a habit among people, but it's not an absolute rule. I mean, there could be some countries where it might be more convenient to worship on, say, Wednesday or, or whatever, but um, I would argue that the biblical practice was to worship on uh, on the Sunday. But 
it's the problem is that many want to imply to us that there's something wrong with us if we worship on a Sunday, that we're actually doing things wrong, we're sinning, and, uh, you know, as well, we're not um, accepting the Jewish festivals, and uh, there are people who have problems with these sort of things. Well, I have problems with those who want to make these an issue, or pretty nearly an issue for salvation, certainly an issue on which they'll judge whether someone is sound or not. Here's an email that I got, for example, not so long since. Uh, this uh, gentleman said, I'd like to ask the following question regarding the Sabbath, the seventh day. Why, if the Sabbath was changed by the Roman Catholic Church to Sunday, do all churches continue to follow this wrong implementation? Uh, if, as we know it should be on Saturday, on the first day, which is Sunday, and not the seventh day. Well, you know, it's, it's very important to realize that there's a, a wrong presupposition in his question. You see, his question implies that Sunday observance was created by the Roman Catholic Church, and people have said that to me, that this is something that only happened after Emperor Constantine was uh, so-called converted and uh, made the Roman Empire into um, a so-called Christian Empire. But you see, that's not the case. Sunday observance was the norm in New Testament times. So unless you actually believe that the Roman Catholic Church was the true original Church of the Apostles, then it's clear that the Roman Catholic Church did not invent the concept of worship on a Sunday. Now when we say Sunday, of course, we know that uh, that English word is clearly of pagan origin, just as all the other days of the week are. But it's, you know, we're not, we're not worshipping pagan deities when we use those names. In the Bible, that weekday is referred to as the first day of the week. And we also refer to it as the Lord's Day for reasons that we'll come to, which is quite important. But, you know, every place that I've ever been and every place in the world where I have any connections, I notice that the normal pattern for Christian worship is to meet on a Sunday. As I said, it could be that some places it's not convenient to do that, and it would not be a sin to meet on a different day. But if it's possible to meet on a Sunday, it would seem right to do so. That's been the case for two millennia. And it defies logic to suppose that that's all the fault of churches following a Roman Catholic pattern. In any case, you know, not everything that the Roman Catholic Church says is wrong. Now, please don't take me out and stone me at this point. Um, I'm not saying that I think it's a, it's a healthy church. I don't. It's not a healthy church. It's, it's a church that I consider to be an apostate church. It's not a Christian church. Nevertheless, uh, the Roman Catholics accept the doctrine of the Trinity. Does that mean, then, that I should reject the doctrine of the Trinity just because Catholics believe it? Of course not, because it's a biblical doctrine. Again, the Roman Catholics believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus. Should I reject that doctrine simply because the Roman Catholics believe it? Of course not. It's a biblical doctrine. And just because the Roman Catholics get some things wrong, then, about Mary, that doesn't mean that I'm going to reject the doctrine of the virgin birth. In the same way, I'm not going to de de reject Sunday worship just because the Roman Catholic Church worships on a Sunday. As with all the other doctrines that I mentioned, Sunday worship is biblical. Well, the first reason for worshipping on the Lord's Day is that it commemorates the, G the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We read in John chapter 20, verse 1, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
It was the first day of the week when Mary Magdalene and the Avenger of the others saw Jesus having risen from the dead. All the gospel accounts show that the resurrection took place on the first day of the week. So, although we celebrate that especially on Easter Sunday, and that might be opening a can of worms just to say that very phrase, Easter Sunday, but although that's the case, in, there's a way, there's a sense in which every Sunday is Easter Sunday. The fact that we meet together on Sunday is a commemoration of the Lord's Day as a memorial to the resurrection. Now, of course, that by itself wouldn't be sufficient to say we should meet on a Sunday because that's just saying that Jesus rose on the Lord's Day. But you can see that there's a reason for using the Lord's Day then. And when we actually go into the Acts of the Apostles, it's quite important to understand that the Acts of the Apostles is the only book that we actually have in the New Testament that shows the New Testament church actually in the process of worshipping, witnessing and working. Well, at the end of that book, in Acts chapter 20, this is what we read about a gathering of Christians in Troas. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. You see, it's clear from that verse that the disciples had come together for a meeting. They did this on the first day of the week, the day that we're referring to as the Lord's Day. And they'd met together for two purposes. The first of those was to break bread together. You see, they were sharing the Lord's Supper together, communion together. And secondly, they were listening to Paul teaching them. So, that, again, if we, don't, if we take that verse in isolation, it doesn't mean that Sunday worship had become the norm, but it, it's strong evidence when we add it to all the other things, all the other incidents. What we have then is a group of Christians coming together, they have communion together, and they listened to preaching together. Well, there's another example of the sort of meeting we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, when the Apostle Paul said this, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, the, the money that Paul was asking for to help the Christians in Jerusalem was going to be given in one lot when Paul came, but he didn't say wait and then give it in one lot. He said lay something aside on the first day of the week because the meetings together, the giving of money, was part of their worship. So we've got three things happening when these people are meeting together, which is uh, the, um, the breaking of bread, that is the Lord's Supper. There's the, um, uh, uh, the preaching of the word and there's the giving of offerings. There is, of course, a fourth thing uh, by implication. If we look at the meetings that, uh, the, that the Christians had, for example, with uh, uh, the Passover and other times, there was also a singing of a hymn. Well, right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, then, where this, this uh, concept of first-day worship has already become the pattern, and we're told in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, says uh, the Apostle John. Well, what exactly was this Lord's Day? Well, one of the more obscure manuscripts of Revelation, that's the Ethiopian manuscript, has John saying that he was in the Spirit on the first day of the week. Moreover, there's a good deal of early Christian writing that equates the Lord's Day of Revelation 1.10 with Sunday, or the first day of the week. For example, Justin Martyr, 
mentions this in his second apology. And, of course, uh, he was writing in an age before there was an institution recognized as today's Roman Catholic Church. He was writing only 50 years after the writing of Revelation. According to the commentator John Gill, other early Christian writers who made the same claim included Ignatius, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Oregon. So we've determined now that Sunday worship was the normal pattern for New Testament Christians. If that's so, should we assume that Sunday is the new Christian Sabbath, and that all the Old Testament Sabbath laws that used to apply to day seven should now apply to day one? Well, the answer to that is no. It was clearly the practice of Christians to meet on a Sunday, but nowhere was that mandated. In fact, the Apostle Paul has got this to say about mandatory days. Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. Well that verse you see is a general comment that no daily festivals are mandated and that's noteworthy because the attention of those who wish us all to return to observing the Jewish Sabbath Sabbaths are included as examples of days whose celebration or non-celebration should not be a matter of judgment. In addition to that, we should notice that the celebration of the Sabbath is simply a shadow of things to come, and that the substance is of Christ. This last point is very important because the accusation is that those who worship, who accept Sunday worship, are deliberately breaking the fourth commandment. But you see, the fourth commandment is the only commandment that's not quoted in the New Testament. And that's not merely an argument from silence. Colossians chapter 2 verse 17 shows us that the fulfillment of the Sabbath commandment is in Christ. That's where the substance of the commandment comes. And that's really what Jesus meant in Luke chapter 6 verse 5 when he says, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So it follows that our observation of the, of the fourth commandment is fulfilled by our worship of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. For all these reasons and more, Christian worship has to be every day, not just one day. But especially Christians are to meet together on Sunday, not Saturday. And we correctly apply the Sabbath by our salvation. To continue with seventh-day observation is therefore in contradiction to the scripture, and it actually despises Jesus for his salvation. You see, the Apostle Paul just said, let no one judge you. The Apostle reminds us that the celebration of the seventh day is not the distinguishing mark of the elect, as the Seventh-day Adventists, Hebrew Roots movements, and some Messianic congregations seem to maintain it is. So for all those reasons, I want to note that seventh-day observance is not commanded by our Lord, but observation of a day of rest is commanded. And the most suitable day to recognize that is the one that was recognized throughout the New Testament, that is to say, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Have you been confused by the Noah movie? There's no reason to be. What you need is a good book that will help you understand everything about the flood in nice, easy to understand terms, which is why I wrote the book Don't Miss the Boat. See, at the time of Noah and the Flood, there were a lot of people who missed the boat. Don't you miss it. You get hold of the book, described as a must-read by creation speaker Carl Kirby at www.justsixdays.com.
I've often been asked, why are you a young earth creationist? But it's taken me a while, actually, to get the answer right on that point. I know what the answer is now. I'm not actually a young earth creationist. Well, there's a, a shock horror. Does that mean that this particular international creation speaker is backsliding? Well, no, it doesn't. For the record, I'm not going to budge from the biblical truth that God made the world in six literal 24-hour periods approximately 6,000 years ago. But why do you want to call me a young earth creationist? It's because I believe that the world is only 6,000 years old. So people will say that 6,000 years is young. But you see, 6,000 years is only a young age if you start from the paradigm that the Earth should be 4.5 billion years old. Compared to that, 6,000 years is young. So it's all relative, okay? In other words, if you're going to describe 6,000 years as young, you can only do it by starting from accepting an evolutionary paradigm. Well, I don't believe that the world is 6,000 years because some evidence has convinced me that 4.5 billion years is wrong, even though there's plenty of evidence inconsistent with a 4.5 billion year age. I believe there's 6,000 years because the Bible says so, and it's my presupposition that the Bible is true. If I call myself a young earth creationist, then the very term young earth is predicated on the existence of the mainstream view that the earth is a lot older than that. In the village of St. Nicholas near Cardiff in Wales is one of my favourite megalithic monuments and it's called Tinkinswood Burial Chamber. The structure is dated by secularists at about 6,000 years old. Well, I don't think it can be that old. But I'm willing to accept that it must have been built by the earliest post-flood colonisers of Great Britain. When you stand there, you are in the presence of something ancient. The earth is older than that. The earth is 6,000 years old. That is ancient. The earth is not young, unless, of course, you've borrowed from an evolutionary paradigm. The earth is, in fact, very old. It's as old as 6,000 years old. So, you see, I'm not a young earth creationist. I'm a biblical creationist. British Prime Minister David Cameron seems to have been talking about God quite a bit lately. That's probably a departure for British leaders in recent years. Remember, it was Alistair Campbell, the infamous PR guru of the former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair, who once sidestepped a question on his boss's alleged faith with the words, We don't do God. Well, in a series of speeches and interviews over the Easter period, the current Prime Minister, David Cameron, has declared that he is a Christian. So what sort of Christian is he? Well, apparently he and his family attended church this Easter. But they're not regular attenders of church. According to a BBC report, he and his children mulled over what Easter is all about as they ate breakfast. Well, I guess that's a start. So what, according to our beloved leader, is Easter all about then? Well, he doesn't seem to know what it's all about. But he does seem to know what it isn't about. We had a bit of a conversation about that that it wasn't about chocolate eggs. Well, that's a relief, Mr Cameron. He was a bit nearer the mark in an interview on BBC Norfolk in which he repeatedly referred, referred to Jesus as my saviour. But saviour from what? Well, he went on to say, I find a little bit of peace and hopefully a little bit of guidance.
Well, that is not actually what the gospel is all about. It's not there to find you a little bit of peace and a little bit of guidance. Uh, Jesus said that he came not to bring a little bit of peace, but to bring a sword. Uh, that there would be divisions caused within families because of the gospel. That people would take offense at people because of the gospel. Yes, we are meant to get guidance. God gives us guidance. But what sort of guidance is Cameron receiving? And in what sort of form does it come? Well, I know as one of many Christian UK citizens who petitioned the Prime Minister before the Marriage Same-Sex Act, which came into full force a couple of weeks before Easter. What sort of guidance could he have received on that? Well, he received the counsel of Christian citizens, church leaders, and relevant passages from the Bible. All of those combined to tell him that what he was doing was contrary to God's will. But he still went ahead and did it, and he recently declared himself to be proud to have achieved same-sex marriage equality, declaring that his views were not in spite of being conservative, but because I am conservative. It was not difficult for Mr Cameron to work out what God thought about this subject, yet he still went ahead and did the exact opposite of God's will. How's that then for a little bit of guidance? To be honest, I think we were probably better off when our leaders said that they didn't do God. The current Prime Minister says he does do God, but he doesn't listen to him, and he doesn't obey him. Walking the Dog was a production of New Life Creation Ministries. It can be found at the website justsixdays.com. The programme featured Paul Taylor and was produced, written, directed and everything else by Paul Taylor, who also made the coffee and did all the recording and moved all the little bits around on the computer screen. To find out more about this project, go to www.just6days.com. 